0: Well, good morning, Abundant Life Church. How are you doing today? It's good to see you. But listen, i got to tell you something. I just think there's more in you than that. Okay, so let me ask you that question once again. How are you doing today? That's so much better. That's so much better. I appreciate that. Hey, we are in a series that we started three weeks ago called Narrative, Life is a Story. And today I get to talk to you about being storytellers. I want to begin by asking you a question. I don't know if you realize this, but you are one person on a planet of over 7.4 billion people. How does that make you feel? I've heard small. I've heard insignificant. I've heard overlooked. There's all kinds of words that probably could come to mind when you think about it. I'm one person out of 7.4 billion people on the face of this earth. My goodness, how much smaller could I be? How much more insignificant could I be? I was um, in the car years and years ago with uh, my wife. We were newly married. And uh, this question came to mind. I have no idea why it came to mind. It had to be because my sister, I have one sister, and she's barely a year older than I am. And I asked my mom, we were just I don't, yeah, I don't know why, but I just said, hey, mom, was I in an accident? And she didn't respond. She has yet to this day to respond to that question. So I assume the answer to that question is, yes, you probably were, but the point being, it doesn't matter whether you were an accident or whether you're one of 10 children or whether you're one of 7.4 billion people on the face of this earth. What matters is you matter. You matter, and your story matters, and I hope you know that. I I want you to know that, that your story matters because you and I need to become storytellers. About two or three weeks ago, uh, this book appeared on my desk. I didn't order the book. I don't know where it came from, but it's by one of my favorite authors, Max Lucato. And the book is called God's Story, Your Story. And in the book, I came across this quote. I just began to read it, and this quote pops up in this book. I thought, man, this is exactly what I'm talking about. Your life emerges from the greatest mind and the kindest heart in the history of the universe. The mind and the heart of God. Do you ever stop and think about that? That your life, you are here today because you emerge from the mind of God. You emerge from the heart of God, the kindest heart and mind in the universe. How does that make you feel? That's amazing to me when I stop and think about it. And so our stories are, are powerful. And we need to recognize that our stories have meaning and they have purpose. Your life has meaning. And it has purpose. Two of the questions that people ask often when they're trying to figure life out is, who am I and why am I here on this earth? And I'll bet there are people in this room who have asked that question. And I was looking this past week in Ephesians chapter 1, and he answers those questions. In Ephesians 1, he tells us this. It's in Christ that we find out who we are. There's the question, who am I? And what are we living for? Why am I here? And he goes on to say, long before we heard of Christ, before we first heard of Christ, he had his eye on us. Isn't that a great statement? And that he had designs on us for glorious living, part of the overall purpose he's working out in everything and everyone. I read that phrase, part of the overall purpose that he's working out. If I could paraphrase that, it'd be part of the overall story that he's working out in your life. And in my life, I don't know about you, but I find it absolutely astonishing that the God of the universe, the God who created these over 7.4 billion people, notices me. And not only does he notice me, but he invites me to be a part of this story that he's writing. And you may not have ever seen your life from that perspective, but he invites you to do that as well. If you look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, for example, the Bible says, he creates each of us. Why? To join him in the work that he does. Have you ever looked at your life that way? That's why he created you, to join him in the work that he does. Another passage of Scripture that gives us the same message. It is he who saved us and chose us. Why? For his holy work. And if I, again, if I were to paraphrase that, it would be to share his story. And so the, the question today is, How do I join him in this work? What's this noble task that he's called me to? And in today's message and in this context, I would say it's to be a storyteller, to tell your story because it's powerful. It's unique, and it has a purpose, and it has a meaning. Now, some of you might be thinking already, but I don't have a story. Yes, you do. You have a story. You may not have taken time to figure it out, But you have a story, and your story needs to be told. David in the Old Testament made an amazing statement, a beautiful, powerful statement when he said this that's in connection with what we're talking about today. He says, God rewrote the text of my life. I look at that and think, it's like God, he's rewriting my story. He rewrote the text of my life when I opened the book of my heart to his eyes. And he said, that's what I want you to see. I want you to open the book of your heart, the story of your life, to his eyes. Because your story is a part of a grander story that God is writing. Last week, Pastor Jeremy talked to us about how God repurposes things. And I'm glad he's in the repurposing business. And most importantly of all, he's repurposing your life. That's what he wants to do with you. He makes all things new, things we talked about today. And I looked at a passage of Scripture that's so familiar with, with so many of us. See, hey, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. And you see this, this idea of repurposing our life come out in this passage. He says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation, it's not a reward for the good things that we've done. So none of us can boast about it. And then he goes on and says, for we are God's masterpiece. So he's fashioned us this beautiful story. And he's created us anew in Christ. He's repurposing us, created us anew in Christ. Why? So that we can do the good things that he's planned for us long ago. And again, if I were to paraphrase that, it would be so that you and I can tell the story that he's making out of our life. Because there are people who need to hear your story. What you and I have to come to understand is that that your story, my story, our stories are a part of a grander story that God is writing. And he invites us to be a part of that story. Again, to quote from Max Lucado and his book, God's Story, Your Story, he says this, Above and around us, God directs a grander story, one originating from his mind, written by his hand, orchestrated by his will, and unveiled according to his calendar. And you are a part of it. Have you ever stopped to think about the fact that you are a part of God's story? And so I want you to see that. I want you to understand that. This past week, uh, I was kind of browsing through Facebook, and I came across, as you normally do on Facebook, great theological truths. And, um, <laughs> and I came across this statement, and I thought, this is exactly what I'm talking about. And I kind of reworded it just a little bit, but, but I loved what this person said. The one thing that you have that nobody else has is you. Your voice, your mind, your experience, and your story. So write it, tell it, share it, and live it as only you can. You've got this amazing story. Never underestimate the power of your story and how God wants to weave your story, the mountaintops and the valleys, all into his grander story. Now today... I'm primarily speaking to those of us that I describe as people who have stepped across the line of faith. In other words, you came to a place in your life where you surrendered your heart to Jesus, you opened your life to him, and you invited him to be your Savior and your Lord, and you stepped across the line of faith. You're the people I'm primarily speaking to today. So for those of you who have yet to step across that line, I invite you just to listen in, to be patient with me as, as, I, as I teach this message today. But I want you to listen in because if you listen and listen between the lines, you will hear how you fit into this grander story. And you will also get a glimpse of what Im- should be important to those of us who've stepped across the line of faith. And you'll also hear what we think and what we believe, and what we feel about you. And so the grand question, the big question that I want to ask and answer today is this. What does it mean to become storytellers? If you have a story, what does it mean for you and me to become storytellers? And As I thought about this, the first thing that came to mind was this. It means I must accept this honorable assignment. This is an honorable assignment. I thought for a while before I figured out what is it, I must accept what? This responsibility, this privilege, this whatever it is, and you could use all those words. But I landed on this honorable assignment. Why? Because it's such an honor for you and me to be able to represent God. I mean, most of us don't wake up on any given day and think, thank you, God, that I get to represent you today but we do. If you've stepped across the line, you are a representative of Christ. Now, how does that make you feel? For me, I have to be real honest with you. It's a little bit scary to think that I represent God, which by the way, it's, it's why I, I've never ever in my life put Christian bumper stickers on my car. I've never put that little fish in my car. Years ago, my wife tried to convince me to put one of those little fish on there, and I said, I don't want one of those things in my car because whenever I get in the car, the devil gets a hold of me. And, and I just, I don't want, I don't want to be that kind of uh, a representative of Jesus. And so, you know, Abundant Life has never had these bumper stickers that say, follow me to Abundant Life Church. I'd never put, I don't want anybody following me. I don't want anybody following me when I drive because it's like, you know, the devil gets a hold of me and it's, I'm not the best Christian witness at, at that point in time in my life. And now, now I don't have anything against Christian bumper stickers. I don't have anything against the Christian fish. If you have one in your car, if you want to put one in your car, and who knows, maybe Pastor Jeremy down the road, he may decide that, hey, I think we ought to have bumper stickers that say, follow me to Abundant Life Church. That's great. That's fantastic because I'm sure he's a whole lot more spiritually motivated when he gets behind the wheel than I am. And so it'll be just fine. But the point being, you and I cannot deny the fact and we cannot escape the fact that we are representatives for Jesus Christ. In fact, uh, the, the Bible tells us this so clear in when we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19. This is one of my favorite passages of scripture where it says, we have been sent to speak for Christ. In other words, we're his storytellers. It is as if God is calling to you, people who haven't yet stepped across the line, through us, people who have. And so we had this awesome privilege, and this is how Jesus describes us. He uses phrases like, you're the salt of the earth. He says, you're the light of the world, which, by the way, I think that's the only phrase that Jesus uses that both describes himself and us, the light of the world. You're the light of the world. He says, you're a city that's set on a hill. I love how Matthew chapter 5 in the message version uh, words this. This It's a beautiful picture of what Jesus is saying. Let me tell you why you're here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. you ever see yourself as, as salt seasoning, bringing out the flavors? And if you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? And if you, if you lose your usefulness, and you'll end up in the garbage. And he goes on. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in this world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. And so you and I must go public with our stories because the good news is only good news if it gets there in time. And so we have to be earnest about sharing our story. Now, what keeps us from doing that? What keeps us from sharing our story? In a word, I would say it's excuses we come up with excuses for not sharing our story. And one I've already shared with you, some, some of you think, I, I don't even have a story. And, and that's maybe an excuse for not sharing your story. Or some of you might be thinking, yeah, I guess I have a story, but it's just boring. I mean, I've often thought my story is boring. You know, I was raised in a Christian home and all that stuff, and it's just not that really exciting. And we think it's boring. And sometimes we think, I don't know enough to share a story. Well, you don't need to know anything other than it's your story. I think one of the reasons we don't share, and it's probably the saddest of all reasons, and it's because we've, we can become apathetic, and we, we lose the sense of urgency, and we don't care to share our story with other people. I don't know where it came from, but somebody put a card on my desk a while back, about three weeks ago, and I've been hanging on to this card all this time for this message, and it's this guy's at a bus stop, and his T-shirt says, let's talk about Jesus. Jesus. And the caption up top, it guarantees me an entire seat all to myself. <laughs> now, some of you are thinking, I've got to get my hands on one of those shirts. I, I'm going to go find me a T-shirt that says, let's talk about Jesus. You know, I'm thinking that's the kind of shirt I want to wear. Like when I fly on the airplane, because when I get on the airplane, I don't really want to talk to people. I put my, my wife would tell you, the first thing I do, and it frustrates her to no end, I put my earphones on. And and it's not that I don't really not care about people. It's just, I don't know, maybe I'm tired or maybe I'm busy. Maybe it's because my voice doesn't carry that well in an airplane and I don't want to strain it by trying to talk. i got a thousand excuses why. why you know. I don't know, maybe sometimes we can just be a little bit apathetic, and, and so we have to guard against that. But, but what does it mean to, to be a storyteller? It means I need to accept this honorable assignment. Here's the second thing. It means I must ask God to give me a heart for all people as is. I need to ask God, God, would you just give me a heart for every single person exactly as they are? In other words, I don't get to pick and choose with whom I share my story. We don't get to do that. You and I, if we've stepped across the line of faith, I believe we really have the opportunity and the responsibility to accept all people as they are. I love how Paul words it in Romans 15:7. he says, To accept one another then, how? Just as Christ accepted you. So, let me ask you a question. How does Jesus accept you? As is. He accepts you just as you are. You see, Jesus came to this earth to show us the heart of the Father. And when you follow the steps of Jesus, you quickly discover in the Gospels that he was outrageously attracted to and accepting of broken marginalized people, and to the people who were called the sinners of his day, so much so that the religious leaders gave him the title, a friend of sinners. And one of the biggest challenges for the church today is to create a culture of acceptance. It's to create a culture of acceptance where we can accept all people as is. Now, the reason we wrestle with this idea of accepting all people as is, is because I think many times we confuse acceptance with agreement. It's possible to accept someone without agreeing with their beliefs or their behaviors or their lifestyle. You can still accept a person without agreeing. Consequently, because we wrestle with acceptance, we, we, we make it difficult for people to feel accepted when they come into a church. In fact, many people feel as if they can't come to church because they wouldn't be accepted by the church and they certainly wouldn't be accepted by God. Some of you, even here today, may be struggling with the the notion of being in church because you think, how could God possibly love me? Or how could God possibly change me? And you feel as if you don't belong in church. But until we feel that God is truly for us, and not against us, and, and that's grace, will we keep running from him and hiding from him, including Christians. And that's why grace is the foundation for all authentic growth. If, if you're going to change, if you're going to grow, it's going to be in a culture of grace. Gordon McDonald is another one of my uh, favorite authors, and he made a great statement relative to this topic of grace in the church. He says, the world can do almost anything as well or better than the church. You need not be a Christian to build houses or to feed the hungry or heal the sick. There's only one thing that the world cannot do. It cannot offer grace. And so Jesus came to show us the heart of the Father. And Jesus was constantly, constantly painting pictures of God's heart toward lost or broken or marginalized people. If you go to the Gospel of Luke, Chapter 15, it's one of the greatest chapters in the Bible that shows us the heart of God. And the chapter begins like this in Luke chapter 15. Now, the tax collectors and the sinners, they were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they muttered. So they're kind of standing off from the shadows and the periphery, and they're muttering. They're speaking under their breath. And they're saying, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts and Jesus hearing their words, he decides, I'm going to tell them a story. In fact, he tells them three stories. He tells them a story of the lost sheep where a shepherd had 100 sheep, and one of them wanders off, and the shepherd leaves the 99, and he goes after the one sheep and brings it back. And then he tells the story of the lost coin. This woman had 10 silver coins, and she lost one, and so she lit every lamp in the house, and then she swept the entire house until she found the one coin. And then he tells probably what's the most famous of all the stories is the story of the lost son, the lost son, the son who, who asked for his father's inheritance. And, and then he went to go live his life on his own. He just do his own thing, and he wasted all the money. He wasted his life, and then one day he came to his senses, and he returned home only to find his father who was anxiously awaiting for him. And when you read these stories, there are, there are three things about the heart of God that you don't want to miss. You don't want to miss these. The, the story of the lost sheep, It tells me that God actively seeks lost people. He actively seeks lost people. In other words, he's not passively sitting up in heaven waiting for people to come to him. But he's actively seeking people who are far from him. And again, the rabbis of Jesus' day, they didn't believe that. In fact, they believed the exact opposite. The rabbis believed that God would receive a sinner who came to him in the right way. But this story, Jesus is saying, no, no. God actively seeks, and you may not realize this, but the fact that you're here today could be an indication of the fact that he's seeking you, and when he finds you, you, do you know what he does? When God finds you, when you've wandered off, you know what he does? He does the exact same thing that the shepherd did with the sheep. He goes to the sheep. He bends down. He picks it up gently and puts it on his shoulders, and he carries it back to the fold. Now, if you've wandered away from God, if you're the one and you've wandered off and, and you've, you know, gone off and done your own thing and you're thinking, there's no way God could love me, your picture of the shepherd finding the sheep is probably not like that, gently picking you up on the shoulder and carrying you back. It's probably I'm like, you stupid sheep. In the world. I wish you would quit wandering off. You make me sick, you know, doing this. Get back over where you belong. And that's maybe how you feel about God and how he relates to you when you wander off. And Jesus says, no, no. He actively goes after and seeks lost people. The story of the lost coin tells me that God sees every person as a person of value. Every single person is a person of value. And again, the rabbis of Jesus' day, they didn't believe that. They didn't believe it at all. In fact, this is what they believed. There will be joy in heaven over one sinner who is obliterated before God. That was their thought. Of lost people, broken people. God's going to rejoice. It's rejoicing in heaven when one of them is obliterated. Nothing could be further from the truth. And then the story of the lost son, the greatest story of all. God, what this teaches me, is that God gives us not what we deserve, but what we need. He doesn't give us what we deserve. He gives us everything we need when we wander off. What did he give to the son? He gave him what he needed, not what he deserved. what What did he give him? He gave him grace, he gave him mercy, he gave him forgiveness, he gave him an opportunity to start over. Let me just ask you a question. Is there anybody here today, and you don't have to raise your hand, but in your in your mind, is there anybody here today who would love a chance to start over? Sure. Do you deserve it? Probably not. But God's willing to give it to you. And so he gives you not what you need, but what you not what you deserve, but what you need and more. He didn't stop there. He gave the son uh, a ring, a robe, sandals, and a calf. None of those were necessities. Everything given to him at this juncture was to demonstrate, I love you and I honor you, and that he was one of value. And so if you and I are going to be storytellers, then we have to have a heart for all people as is. And just as excuses will keep you from accepting the responsibility that God's given to you, barriers will keep you from having a heart for all people as is. There's all kinds of barriers that, that I can put up and that I see people putting up. For example, oftentimes they're relational barriers. And I won't tell them the story because we have a history. We have a history of words, of not getting along. Or maybe it's a social barrier, and I won't tell them the story because we're just different from each other. They're rich, and I'm poor, or they're poor, and I'm rich, or they listen to country music, and I listen to jazz. And, and, you know, we just have all these social barriers, and I'm just not going to bother to tell them the story. Sometimes it's a moral barrier, and I won't tell them the story because they're wrong. They're just wrong. Everything about them is wrong. They have the wrong entertainment. They have the wrong lifestyle. They hang out with the wrong people. Everything about them is wrong. There's just no way I'm going to tell them the story. The theological barriers. I won't tell them the story. I won't share my story with them because we're just not on the same page theologically. We just don't agree. I remember my first ministry. I was back in North Carolina, Plymouth, North Carolina. And I was young. I was 19 years old. And it was a time in in this church and and in that part of the country where there were lots of theological differences between people. And I remember sitting uh, in this little country church in a leaders' meeting. And, again, I was 19, I'm young, I'm stupid. And and they're, uh, they're discussing theological stuff and they're talking about those Baptists up the street and those Lutherans down the road and, you know, degrading them and all this stuff. And then they got onto a discussion about whether or not they were going to support this this person on the mission field, and the reason they were discussing whether they would support this person is because she was a woman. And so they got into this big, long theological discussion about whether or not they should be supporting a woman on the mission field. And this thing is going on and on and on, and because I'm young and stupid, I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, this is ridiculous. And so I, I just blurted out, I said, what bothers me here is, is we're having this big discussion about whether we should support this person because she's a woman, and the fact of the matter is she's probably done more for Jesus in the three years she's been on the mission field than any of us have done in an entire lifetime. And that didn't sit well with them. In fact, And I can, and again, this is probably 40 years ago, and I can picture the chairman of the board was sitting to my left, and he looked at me, and he says, well, we can tell who wears the pants in your family. And I backhand him so hard, (laughs) I knocked him out of his chair. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't didn't really do that. The The other part of the story is true up to that point. And then we have, you have racial barriers. I mean, I mean that's a big deal these days. I mean, racial barriers, I wouldn't dare share the story with that person because we're a different ethnicity. We come from different cultures, you know, different color and all of that. Again, I was raised in the South. I was raised in, in just outside of Richmond, Virginia in the 70s when racial tension was at an all-time high. And it was so confusing to me as a kid growing up in church because in church, and if you were raised in church, you probably remember this song, that, that said, it went like, I, Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Anybody remember that song, you know? And so, and so I, I was hearing this song, and, and it was so confusing because of the, the racial slurs and stuff that I heard from people in church. And I'm thinking to myself, it's a good thing Jesus loves them because the people in this church sure don't. And it was so, so confusing to, to grow up in, in that. And I think what we have to understand, if we're going to break down barriers, especially racial barriers, then we have to understand that the world is never going to know how colorblind Jesus is until they see how colorblind we are. And, and at the foot of the cross, we have to understand that we lay down all of our differences. All of our differences are laid down at the foot of the cross. And I could go on with other barriers. Political barriers is a big one these days. I mean, how many people, I would never talk to that person about Jesus because they voted for Trump. Or I'd never talk to that person about Jesus because they think Hillary should have been president. And, and, and so all these political barriers and stuff, they, they get in our way of sharing the good news of Jesus through our story. What does it mean to become a storyteller? Here's number three. I'll get off of that. Here's number three. It means I must be prepared. I need to be prepared. You see, when, when you ask Jesus to give you a heart for all people and you've accepted the assignment, this, this, this great opportunity to share, then God's going to give you the opportunity to do so. And when he does, you and I need to be prepared. 1 Peter chapter 3 is one of the all-time great verses that helps us to see this. Through thick and thin, keep your hearts at attention. In adoration before Christ, your master, be ready to speak up and tell anyone who asks why you're living the way you are. In other words, be ready to share your story. And always do it with utmost courtesy. Be kind, be gentle, be humble in sharing your story. Be real, be authentic, be, be simple, be short, okay? And get rid of Christian language and all that stuff. But, but I encourage you, think through your story. What was your life like before you met Jesus? How did you meet Jesus? And what's it like now? Here's number four. It means I must let God be God. If I'm going to be a storyteller, there's going to come a time where I have to remind myself I need to let God be God. You see, sometimes people get the notion that when we talk about having a culture of grace, that it means you don't have to change. And nothing could be further from the truth. Sometimes we think, you know, God accepts me as I am, so I can just stay that way. No, that's not what we're talking about. You see, We say, come as you are, because that's how God accepts us. But we say, don't stay that way, because all of us have room to grow. All of us have areas where we can change. I came across this phrase this past week that I I just love this. It says, God meets us where we are, but he does not leave us where we're found. And it's good to know that God will meet you wherever you are because he actively pursues lost people. He'll meet you where you are, but he doesn't leave you where you're found. In other words, there's change that needs to take place. But sometimes in the church, we get the crazy notion that it's our job to change people. We get the crazy idea that it's our job to fix people and to make them straighten up and fly right. How many of you have somebody in your life that you'd love to help get straightened up and to fly right, and you want to fix people, right? And we get this notion that it's our idea to do that. I've got to be real honest with you, and I've told you this before. But the older I get, the, the, the clearer it becomes to me that I'm having a really hard time just changing me, much less trying to fix you or to change you. So I'm not going to try to change you, but I know this church has attempted to create a culture of grace where God can change you because it's his job, not mine. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it says this, and this is, this is great. Paul says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered the plants, but God made you grow. In other words, God made you change. It's not the one who plants or the one who waters who's at the center of this process, but it's God. In other words, it's not the storyteller. You're you're the storyteller, and your story is important, but you're not God, okay? You're not at the center of this whole process. God is. He's the one who makes things grow. Planting and watering are menial servant jobs at minimum wage, okay? And so your story is important, but you're not God. And when you and I can release the fact that we're not God and we don't have to change people, now people cease becoming projects. And God changes people on his timetable, and now I don't have to control other people. Basically, it means I can stop playing God. And then here's number five. Becoming a storyteller means that I'm share my story with anyone who will listen. I'll share my story with anyone who will listen. Let me ask you a question. Uh, will everybody listen to your story? it's not a difficult question. It's not a trick question. Will everybody listen to your story? No. Good. Good answer. Good answer. Okay. Uh, uh, will there be times where you will, your story will be rejected? Yes. Should that discourage you? No. Good You guys are smart. You guys are very smart. I remember when Anna and I moved here, and we started Abundant Life Church 28 years ago. It was on a Saturday afternoon, a beautiful, sunny Saturday afternoon. We were going throughout the community, and we were delivering door hangers, putting them on people's doors. And if they happened to be in the yard, we'd hand it to the people. Well, I remember this Saturday afternoon. Uh, this is in my community where I live. We've lived in the same house for 28 years. Up the street, turn right, second house on the left. And, and I remember this guy in the yard. And this is a big guy. He looks like a former Marine or something. The guy must have been 6'3 or 6'4. And I walk up to this guy, and I said, this is my wife, Anne, and we just moved here to start a church, and we're just out in the community meeting people, and we just wanted to invite you to come to our church. So I handed him this, this piece of paper. He took it, he read it, he looked at me, and then he read it again, and then he took it, and he balled it in my face and dropped it on the ground. I backhand that guy so hard <laughs> that... <laughs> no, not really. That part's not true either. And in fact, I was probably like this, you know, oh, I was going to, kill. please, please. Uh, you know, I, and the guy still lives there. He still lives in the same house, same place. I don't know. Maybe he's here today. I'm not sure. But uh, if you are, uh, thank you for not hurting me. Okay, I, I, I just, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. But what I'm saying is, there'll be people who won't accept your story. Don't be discouraged by that. One time Jesus was telling about uh, the kingdom of heaven, and he told a story about the kingdom of heaven, and he talked about how a king had prepared a banquet for his son, and he said to his servants, I want you to go and invite these people to come to this banquet, and everybody that was on the invite list began making all these excuses why they couldn't be there, and so the king then said to the servant and in Matthew 22, he said to the servant, I want you to go out and tell anybody that you can find to come. And so, in Matthew 22, you'll see this verse here. So, the servants went into the streets, and they gathered all the people that they could find, both good and bad, and the waiting hall was filled with guests. I love that because what that tells me is this. God wants his house to be full, and you have a story to tell. There will be some people who will not want to hear your story. Don't be discouraged. Keep telling your story. I don't know if you know this or not, but the story of of Jesus is, is God's love story to you. And his story has great implication on your life today, especially for those of you here who have yet to step across the line of faith. And this is what I mean. When Jesus told a story of the lost sheep or the lost coin or the lost son, your story is woven into that. And what I mean by that is this, you can be found like the lost sheep. And when God finds you, he will gently pick you up and bring you where you need to be. You are a person of great value, just like the coin that was lost. You may be here as somebody who has wandered off from God, and and you've basically wasted your life. And you can be welcomed home because God wants to give you not what you deserve, but what you desperately need, forgiveness and mercy and grace and a chance to start over and to celebrate your return. Jesus told another great story about the woman caught in the act of adultery. If you ever read that story, you can be forgiven like the woman who was caught in this sin. Jesus told a story one time about how he met this woman at the well. And he told her all about her life, how rotten it had been, and, and, and showed her how she could have a brand new start. What Jesus is saying is, you can have a brand new start. Your life can have meaning and purpose. And this is what I would say to you. For those of you who are in this room today, and you have yet to step across the line of faith, I encourage you, I challenge you to take the step and step across the line of faith and open your heart, bow your knee, surrender your life to Jesus. And when you do, your story will change for good and forever. It doesn't mean that life's going to be perfect, and it doesn't mean you'll never have pain or problems, because that just is not the way life works. But what it does mean is that now your life is beginning to be repurposed, rewritten, and your story is being woven into God's grander story in a phenomenal way that I guarantee you one day you'll look back and you'll think, I'll never regret, I've never regretted choosing to follow Jesus Christ. I hope today would be the day. For those of you who have stepped across the line of faith and and you have surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, this is my encouragement to you. Be exactly the person that Jesus described you and called you to be. Be the salt of the earth. Be the light of the world. Be the city that is set on a hill. Be a storyteller because your story matters and someone needs to hear it. It'll make a difference for all eternity. I'm going to ask if you would bow your head and let's pray. Father, I'm so grateful that that you continue today to make beautiful things out of us. God, you take the broken pieces of our lives. You take the deep, dark valleys of our lives, the hurt, the painful moments of our lives. And you take the mountaintop victories of our lives. And you take all of that and you weave it together into this grander story that you're writing. Father, thank you that we are that personal and that in a world full of so many people that each one of us matters and our story matters. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.